This morning's New Testament text comes to us from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The word of the Lord. O God, we pray that you will make straight a path in our heart to hear this word. Amen. To paraphrase Barbara Brown Taylor, you can't get to Christmas without getting past John the Baptist any more than an Amazon delivery truck person can get past a Rottweiler in the front yard before getting to the porch. To do so, you at least have to make friends with it. The Gospel of Mark, the writer of the first four Gospels, understands this, so this is where his Gospel starts. Immediately with John the Baptist out in the desert wilderness, growling like a barking Rottweiler in clothes that no one would be seen in public with, calling all who heard him to repent of their sins, and get ready for Jesus. As we imagine out there in the wilderness, John the Baptist, looking like he had been hand-picked by central casting, is something to behold. But it's not just his looks, it's his place his place out there in the desert. And not just that, it's what he implies. Let me give you a word. It's not a good word, it's an ugly word. It's one of the ugliest words we have. More ugly today, two months after, or almost three after war in Israel and Gaza two years after war in Ukraine, 10 years after war in Syria. The word I'm talking about, I'm thinking about, is displaced. 
This place does not mean out of place or misplaced. To be displaced is to have your place taken from you. It means to be forced out of your home or your country by war or persecution or disaster or a move you just don't want to have to make. Displaced is an ugly word because of the word forced. It's not something one chooses to do unless it's the only choice you have to survive. To be displaced might be one of the most traumatic and tragic events we can face. To be displaced means to to be thrown out before you are wiped out. When you're displaced, you lose your bearings, you're disconnected, you are ungrounded, you are left vulnerable, feeling unprotected, wandering around in the wilderness or the streets of the city. Sometimes it's not so dramatic. It might just be the vicissitudes of life that cause it. There are all kinds of levels of displacement. Divorce is a displacement, the death of a loved one. Displacement, a diagnosis. Someone breaks into your home, steals something. Your house is never safe again. It's a displacement of safety. Whatever the reason, you don't really have a choice. It just happens to you. The experience is displacement. Some are worse than others. At the end of World War II, at least 40 million people were displaced. Hitler tried to displace every Jew in Europe from their homes and their lives. A little perspective of what's going on in Israel. Before World War II, there were 9.5 million Jews in Israel, excuse me, in Europe. After two-thirds had been murdered by the Nazis and another 400,000 displaced. In 1948, because of the efforts of the Jewish lobby called DP, meaning displaced persons, 250,000 Jews were replaced in Israel. As they went, they also displaced the same number of Palestinians who were already living there. Since 1918, almost 4 million Jews have migrated to Israel. It's called the Aliyah, the going up, the ascent, 4 million. And what we are facing today comes partly from the violence of displacing the people who already live there from those who had been displaced in another land, which seems to indicate that every displacement only leads to another displacement. It's a continuing circle of displacement. And those displaced in Gaza, will they just walk away from this? This is why it's such a nasty word but it's all over the Bible. According to Mark and the other disciples, I'm starting to see how Jesus lived his whole life in solidarity with the displaced. 
While he was one of us, fully human, he started and ended with God. He ate and slept and loved and healed and danced and laughed and cried and grieved, but he did so as an outsider sent from God into the world, knowing that hopefully he would return to God. As Jesus said, as foxes have holes and sparrows have nests, but, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. The other Gospels know it too. They point to it. Luke talks about Mary and Joseph being forced out of their town of Nazareth because they have to go down to Bethlehem and pay the taxes. But also there's an implication that because of her birth, there's some question about how it all came to happen. There's no room in the end when they get there. They find a manger feeding stall for the livestock, Jesus' crib, and the first people who discover them there are the shepherds whose whole life was a wandering displacement. In Matthew's gospel, it's the same. Mary and Joseph and baby are forced to become refugees and be displaced to Egypt because the wise man told King Herod that a son had been born who would be king of the Jews, and Herod so paranoid about it, decided he was going to kill every child under two years old to make sure that he does away with this possible interloper for Herod's crown, which is why the Holy Family had to flee. Displaced. And John the Baptist, displaced from some period 500 years earlier, looking like someone from central casting playing the part of a, of a prophet, or especially Isaiah, that gets beamed up into the wilderness in Jesus' day. And what he's out there saying is what Isaiah said too, from Isaiah 40, who said to those people from Jerusalem who had been displaced when the Babylonian army came in and burned the temple and the city of Jerusalem down, and they were sent, those not killed, they were sent as slaves into Babylon. It is from Isaiah that John the Baptist reads, God is sending them a messenger who will prepare the way, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah first, then John the Baptist. And then the way God prepares that highway is by the sending and coming of Jesus Christ. God makes it smooth, levels the ground, knocks down all the barriers so that the way will be cleared between God and us. And it starts in the wilderness. Next thing John knows, he's out there preaching all this, and whoa, people start coming. They start coming, Mark says, from the, the whole Judean countryside. That's a huge space. And Mark even says that all the people in Jerusalem even came out to John the Baptist to be baptized him for... A, a, for repentance and forgiveness of sins. It's a 
It's a 15-mile walk from Jerusalem down to where John the Baptist was on the other side of the wilderness, and they're all out there. And why would they be out there in the wilderness if they did not know how displaced they were? And they were. They had been displaced from God by the by the religiosity that had grown up in the particular temple sect at that time. The priests were righteous priests, and they were pure priests, and they maintained the purity of the law. And some people were accepted in, into the temple, and some were not, depending on gender and depending on wealth and depending on purity. And the priest kept all that going they determined who was in and who was out, and those who were out, they what? They're displaced. They don't have a seat. Women didn't have a seat. Poor people didn't have a seat. They couldn't buy the offering for the sacrifice. Do you know, it wasn't too long ago that Scottish preachers used to go around to all the people in the congregation and sit down with them before, before communion and interrogate them about their lives and if, if the priest, preacher didn't feel like they'd lived up to it, he would not give them a token for communion. It's called fencing the table. Do you think Jesus wants us to fence the table? Or the temple? Why else were those people out there in the wilderness? Because they were so displaced they had nowhere else to go. And they were just simply looking for a seat, a place at the table of God. And the Gospels say that Jesus comes into, into the middle of that to proclaim the good news. To help them and us understand that we are God's people. God's children born in the image of God. And that as a child of God, we always have a seat at God's table. This is good news for those displaced, but it isn't so good news for those who think they are in their place because they don't like to ride in the bus with those who aren't in their place. And if they have to ride with them, they tell them they got to sit in the back. The first sermon that Jesus preached in Luke to the displaced, he gets up in his home temple. They're all so proud of my boy. Jesus, our boy. He's our boy. Look how good he is. And they're all so proud of him. And he gets up and starts talking to them. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they were like, yeah, baby, this is great. This is our Jesus. Then he goes to meddling because he goes to tell them that, you know what? God sent God's favor through the prophet to the, to the widow in Sidon. Well, she wasn't one of them. She was, she was in Sidon. She, she wasn't in, in Israel. And, and God sent his prophet to Naaman in Syria. Syria? Syria, those are our biggest enemies. But not to the people of Israel, Jesus said. And at that point, 
At that point, a prophet is never accepted in his hometown. They ran Jesus out of the temple and tried to throw him off the cliff. Read it. It's in Luke. And it seems clear to me the more I read it that Jesus came to bring good news to those who were displaced and oppressed and last and lost and lonely and languishing in the wilderness with no place to go. And unless we consider ourselves one of those from time to time, it threatens us. Now I want to say another word that carries a completely opposite meaning to displaced. In fact, it's the root of the word, and that is the word place. To have a place is to be included, is to have a name, is to have a home, to find an identity. A place is what Jesus promises us. I go to prepare a place for you, he says to his disciples, as they are about to go through the tragedy and trauma of his crucifixion. I go to prepare a place for you, a shelter in God's home, a place at the table, a place where nothing in this world can ever force us to be thrown out or displaced from. And I think as I think about my own life and those I know and talk to, it's just this place that we most hunger and thirst for that motivates everything we are doing in life. John the Baptist knows this place. John the Baptist knows it. He's out there wandering around in the wilderness. He's a refugee from life. And immigrants from all over the place are coming out to his, to his place to find their place with him in their baptism of repentance and forgiveness and to hear their name called by Jesus who comes out there and stands with them too in his baptism and puts his hand on their head, every single one of them, saying, you're a child of God. You have found your place with God in this world, Steve. Wherever you go, you are always in God's place. Do you know this place? John the Baptist knows it. Isaiah knows it. I know this place, Isaiah says. It's in the wilderness. So prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway. I know this place, he said, where every valley will be lifted up and every hill made low and, and the, rough even, the rough ground will be made even and level. I know this place, he said, where the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people shall see it together. Where God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. When even youth who may faint and now grow weary don't keep up with the old who never fall exhausted. I know a place, says Isaiah, who they, where they wait on the Lord and they renew their strength and they will mount up with wings like eagles and shall run and not be weary and shall walk and not faint. We have places like this all over the place. Tiny Homes is having an open house today at 2. 
60 tiny homes. They're not that tiny, but they're tiny compared to what we live in. A nice place to sleep, a place to watch TV, a little cooking area for a kitchen and a restroom. Each its own place, 60 of them, tiny homes. Look it up. That this church, people in this church, two women particularly, but this church has sponsored and now is waiting on, as I've said before, bureaucracy in Brunswick to pass the occupancy law. There's places like this, all, Safe Harbor is a place, Manor House, we, places like this all over here. You know this place, but it doesn't have to be here. The place could be in our hearts. And all it takes is a little sense of being moved, displaced for us to find it. Now I'm about to tell you a story that I can't tell you in the pulpit. I've got to displace myself. I've told you about the time I went to a leadership seminar put on by a friend who is the co-owner of a company called Stop at Nothing. And these week-long seminars, they call Hills Training, High Impact Leadership Seminars. And I was invited, uh, it's expensive for one thing, but I was invited as gratis because my friend was a church member and he, and he knew I needed some leadership training. <laughs> and so uh, at this particular seminar, uh, we were doing all kinds of stuff I didn't expect le business leaders to do. And there were five other business leaders with me, all male at the time, big hits in corporations uh, at some of, the some of the major credit card companies, some of the major banks, a couple of big uh, corporations otherwise, and, and me, the preacher. And, and one day we got up in the morning and, and we did some yoga and then we did a little chakra work where we have seven chakras according to Buddhist tradition and we were humming according to the particular resonance of that chakra. We did for about an hour and it was fascinating and amazing, by the way. Then we had lunch, and then we came back uh, after letting our digestive system take its way. And, and then we came back, and we were told to take our shoes off and to stand way apart from each other, and they're gonna play African drum beat music, and we're gonna dance to it until we stop. And um, you talk about feeling displaced, out of place. So close your eyes and they start the music. And we're, we're kind of uh, uh, And then the more you get into the drum beat, the more you're connected to it, the wilder your dancing becomes. I was to draw, trying to draw on my shag. I actually won the fraternity shag contest at North Carolina. And uh, I had, only reason, because I had a good partner. And, and I'm trying to draw, but shagging ain't gonna do it, folks. I had to, I had to like flail and move and dance, and I'm, I'm like into this, I'm going crazy. And the leaders were walking around watching this, and they said to me later, they were a little worried about me breaking my back. But I'm dancing, and man, I'm into it. There ain't nothing like it, man, you're just into it. And the next thing you know, I am being transported to a whole new place. 
It is not a dream. It is a vision. I am as clear about this vision then as I am looking at you now. And I, am, I find myself down at the bottom of a hole, and it's probably 20 feet high and maybe 15 feet in diameter. And, and I'm there, and it's perfectly flat. It's all earth, and, it's, and, and the sides are like this giant post hole digger came down and took out a hole perfectly round, and, and I'm down at the bottom of it. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And I'm still dancing, but I'm in this, I'm in this place, and, and I, I look up into the top, and I see that it's, it's dusk. It's like right before nightfall. It's beautiful purple. Uh, and, and I look up there thinking, I, I might not ever get out of here. Uh, and as I'm thinking that, all of a sudden, shoo, out of the sky comes a ladder, falls right at my feet, and it's exactly as tall as the hole. It goes right up to the edge of the ground, and there it is, and I know, oh, I get this. This is Jacob's ladder. Okay, I'm a preacher. I get this. So this is God saying, climb up the ladder, Steve. Or maybe I'm supposed to see angels come down, but no angels came, so I figured I am going to climb. I got the first step, then I took the second step, and I got scared. I didn't know if I was scared because I didn't really want to be free from that place I was in, or whether I just was getting a little higher than I like. But as I'm standing there, all of a sudden, shoo, comes an escalator right beside me, as if God is saying, okay, you don't want to climb? Then just one step over, and the escalator will take you up. But you're getting out of this hole. Now, I was in a hole because... I was, I don't know, 12 years into my ministry, or 10 years into my ministry at Riverside, and I'd kind of lost some energy. I'd kind of lost my place. I didn't really know where I was supposed to go, if I was supposed to stay there. You know that place, that sort of vocational crisis. Um, so all I know now is, okay, I need to get up out of this. So I just said, okay, I'll climb the ladder. So I climbed up to the ladder, and as I got right to the edge, I looked back up into the sky, and bow! You know how... You know, the, you know the, the eye of God on top of your dollar bill on top of the pyramid? That's what it was. Just, bow, the eye of God in the midst of the darkness. Just that quick. But clearly, okay, wow, this is serious. So I stepped off the ladder on the ground, and I don't touch the ground because the next thing I know, my arms are out, and the wind starts blowing and lifts me up off the ladder, and I am now flying. Seriously. It's not like a flying dream where you have them, you know, because they're always kind of, it's going to crash any second. No, there wasn't any danger. I am flying. I, I promise you, nobody was smoking anything. <laughs> no gummies, nothing. I'm flying, I'm, and, and I start getting into the currents, and I'm dancing, and I'm like doing all this stuff, and I'm soaring up, and I'm going there at least. I'm an eagle. I am an eagle. I know, and I can see down on the earth when I go as high as I can go and look down on it, and I'm catching the currents, and I'm, and I think I did that for probably 30 or 45 minutes, moving to the beat. And after, after it was through, I was exhausted. But I knew that I had found a new place. It was, the, it was the grace of God telling me 
that I am not locked anywhere, not in a hole or any other place, that by the power of God's wind and love, we can be lifted up out of it. I, I got that message. You know that place? Isaiah knows it. Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, we will be lifted up on eagles' wings. And he's saying it to those in Babylon waiting to come home. You know that place? You do. That's why you're here. Let us pray. O oh God, who lifts us up on eagles' wings, we pray that we will find the wind to carry us to your place in Christ's name. Amen.